Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Throughout his career as a driver and broadcaster, he was simply known as BP. Fans, as well as those of us in the media, knew that BP stood for our beloved friend, Benny Parsons. Parsons enjoyed quite a Cup Series career from 1964 through 1988 for a total of 21 victories and 526 starts. He is probably known best, though, for his humble, down-to-earth demeanor and desire to never be treated as the superstar driver that he was. Parsons was born in Wilkes County, North Carolina on July 12, 1941, and spent his teenage years in the Blue Ridge Mountains. At age 18, he made the move north to Detroit to work for his father in the taxicab business. In 1963, he learned about the excitement of stock car racing and found himself a part of it quite by accident. While working in a gas station part-time, someone coming by to buy gas told Parsons about a race the following Saturday night and invited him to go along. It was at Mount Clemens, Michigan Speedway, and as fate would have it, the person buying gas had a race car, but his driver didn't show up for the race. The owner looked at Parsons and said, what about you? Giving the young North Carolinian his first start on a racetrack. Parsons was hooked and knew his career path was set. Over the next decade, He was winning everywhere in the Michigan foothills, making a name for himself. In 1964, he ventured south to try his hand in NASCAR, running a race for Ford Motor Company and Holman Moody at Asheville-Weaverville Speedway in Asheville, North Carolina. In that race, an overheating engine sent him to the garage early. No worries, Parsons didn't let the not-so-lucky venture derail him. From there, He joined the ARCA series and a few years later won championships there in 1968 and 1969. Parsons joined team owner LG DeWitt in February of 1970, logging his first Cup Series win on May 6, 1971 in South Boston, Virginia. His greatest season came in 1973 when he won NASCAR's Cup Series championship at Rockingham, North Carolina with a badly damaged Chevrolet. An army of crewmen from other teams helped get him back in the race, clinching the title through laps completed in that season's point system. It's still considered the greatest comeback story in the sport's 74-year history. Parsons is still the only person to win both ARCA and NASCAR championships. The other great standout triumph of his career came by winning the 1975 Daytona 500, placing himself among some of the sport's most elite drivers. After his retirement from driving, Parsons enjoyed a successful career as a television and radio broadcaster. Sadly, he passed away on January 16, 2007, after a courageous battle with cancer. He was honored with an induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame posthumously in 2017. But because of his success driving, as well as his success in broadcasting, we are all blessed to be able to relive those incredible moments of his life through the magic of audio and video technology. We get to relive the victories, the smiles, and the stories. It's all there. Benny Parsons was truly one of the greatest competitors and most talented broadcasters in all of NASCAR's past. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. I'm Jerry Bunkowski, along with my good buddy, Ben White. And we have a very, well, actually two very special treats for you on this episode. 
Number one, we have a guest and the man, uh, the, the you can't even give a, 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 a better introduction that he's already had well known in the racing world. Uh, Dr. Jerry Punch will be joining us. And the second part the, the, that we're going to be really being enjoying is Jerry, Ben and I are going to be talking about uh, the driver who spent a lot of time in the number 72. And you know that we do our podcast or how we do our podcast. We always introduce, um, you know, the the car number to go along with the episode number. So this is episode 72. The car number is 72. We'll talk more about the car a little bit later, but the, one of the gentlemen that drove that car and kind of made it um, a, a historic number is uh, was Benny Parsons. So Jerry, first of all, uh, and Ben, for, uh, first of all, I want to say thanks to for both of you guys being on. And Jerry, um, you know, we, we, we've we really been looking forward to doing a lot of guests. You're guest number two and really appreciate you taking the time. Um, what's keeping you busy these days? I mean, let's, let's start with you and then we're going to talk a little bit about Benny then. Uh, well, I thank you. It's great to be on with you guys, Jerry and Ben. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, I don't know if, sure if you can hear in the background, but I am uh, I am at a medical center here in Tennessee. Uh, and there's a helicopter landing outside the emergency room here. I'm not in the ER. I am in a in a, in a in a in a different capacity as a but I am working as a medical doctor uh, here. When we uh, when long story short, when uh, when I stopped traveling with ESPN a couple of years ago, even though I was doing a, a game here and a game there and going to some racetracks um, after ESPN lost the NASCAR contract. We did IndyCar and Indy and in, uh, in the Indy 500 for a while, but mm-hmm. um, I uh, when COVID hit, uh, everybody was desperate for medical doctors, and I happen to be licensed in several states, and so I volunteered to work here at the hospital uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then uh, and with a company called AMR, it's doing was doing research. We were doing clinical trials on all four vaccines, uh, trying to everyone was hurriedly trying to test these vaccines and get them out. So we could try to start protecting people. Uh, we were a part of that process, uh, and um, um, and then uh, after uh, we got uh, got the vaccines uh, cleared and uh, for emergency use, uh, the company asked if I would stay on and and do other uh, clinical trials. We are doing other kinds of trials for different vaccines and different medications. So anyway, I, I am here working as a medical doctor. Um, I. Um, uh, have been to the racetrack a little bit. My daughter, Jessie, works for NASCAR, is involved doing stuff at the track. And uh, on Father's Day weekend, uh, I was able, she was asked me to go to Darlington and and work a little bit during with her, uh, which was a unique experience to be able to go be a part of uh, after she followed me around the racetrack all these years. Uh, but I also got to see uh, a lot of my dear friends, uh, you know, the Bill Elliott's and Jeff Gordon's and Bobby Labonte's and Mark Martin's, all the guys that I, I would normally interview on pit road were there. They just weren't driving. They were like me being a part of uh, a special day, but anyway, and then, um, so that's, uh, that's really what I'm doing at this point in time, watching, uh, watching some great racing and, and watching my daughter as, as her young career uh, continues to grow. Well, how about you getting back behind the mic and in front of the camera? I mean, any any possibility of that here in the near future? <laughs> well, I, I don't. I'll, you never say never. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. You know, um, uh, there was uh, the, the the period of time that we did it at ESPN and all the years we did it, uh, we were so blessed. I, I never thought of it as a job, even though it was was hard work. And as you guys know, as writers, when you travel, it is a it is a grind. Yes. Uh, but getting to the racetrack every week. As I walked in the garage area, all the people you know, they've become a part of your family. Um, and then the family I had at the track, all the announcers I work with, uh, you know, they were just they were like father figures or brothers. Uh, and we, we developed such a relationship there. Uh, you know, I miss them. Uh, and I do miss the sport. So I, I would never say I won't go back, but uh, the years are starting to catch up a little bit. I'm not sure I can run up and down pit road anymore or not, not every week anyway. Right. Yeah. One more question for me, and then I would turn it over to Ben, but you know, I are not a question, but actually a comment. Um, I don't know if you even remember this, Jerry, but I have, you have been so big in an incident that happened in my life. And I can never thank you enough for how you helped me. You probably don't remember this, but was well, I remember you Chicago land speedway. You remember about 10 years ago, I guess it was. And uh, they, for whatever reason, didn't park me in the infield. They parked me outside and uh, you know, around this, the, um, the racetrack. And I stepped into a pothole and I really tore up my ankle and I had to be uh, hosting a show on Sirius radio in about an hour from that time uh, frame. 
And Ben, I don't know if I, I think you might have been at that race, if I remember correctly, Ben, but Jerry was so gracious. I mean, he it was like an emergency room. You know, he came into the uh, little room where we had the broadcast equipment set up. He you know, looked at my ankle. He's, you know, he essentially treated me like an ER doctor. And I can't thank you enough because, in fact, my wife and I were just talking about that this morning because I mentioned that you were going to be on the, sh- on the show. And she just said, you've got to thank him again. You've got to thank him again yep. because, you know, it was just uh, I mean, it, I was in awe. I was in pain but I was in awe about how quickly you just moved in and just boom, boom, boom. And I mean, I eventually wound up going to the medical center. And then later on, after the race was over, uh, I went to, to the hospital, but I mean, your diagnosis, the doctors at the ER, you know, when they say, I said, you know, a doctor already treated me, they go, he did was totally spot on. So I, I have to thank you for that. So thank you. Again. Uh, that, that really doesn't surprise me at all, Jerry, because uh, it got, Got two Jerry's on the show here today, but, uh, he, he, you know, he's, he's always he's sort of like a magic man. He's sort of like right there when you need him every yep. time. And he, we, a bunch of us in the media have been so, uh, so blessed to have Jerry, Dr. Jerry punch there with us, uh, right there on the spot, right there at the racetracks. And I think we've asked him everything from, you know, from a head cold to a broken bone, to <laughs> everything. Right, right. Uh, uh, those in the media, those in the driver's suits, those all over the racetrack. So we we really appreciate you all these years. But, you know, talking about talking about Benny, 21 victories, 283 top tens got here in 1964 at Weaverville, North Carolina. His last race, 1988 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. A lot of years, a lot of success, uh, 1973 NASCAR Grand National Champion, uh, now the Cup Series Champion. But just the first question I want to ask you real quick, where's the first time you met Benny Parsons? Do you remember the, the very first encounter you had with Benny? Yeah, I, I do, actually. I, I, um, I was, um, I was going, to, going to college at NC State University, and uh, a buddy of mine at college um, – uh, Greer Smith was related to Benny and Greer was a writer, was writing and working, I think, for the Southern Motorsports Journal. For, yeah, we know, uh, we know him. And, yeah. and uh, Greer, uh, now we're at NC State and Greer said, I got a, a cousin or a whatever who's a race car driver and he he's down in, in uh, Ellerby work and uh, he works on a, on the race car there in the old uh, in the trucking company shop and let's ride down there one day so we rode down one night and I, of course i'd grown up around hickory speedway and around uh, ned jarrett etc so i was avidly uh in, in, enthused about going down there so we drove whatever it was the hour and a half down the two-lane roads from raleigh down to ellerby went in and there's uh there's Benny Parsons and I think it was just Benny Parsons and Travis Carter. And one other guy was a volunteer and the shop was dark and dingy and dirty. And there were peach baskets everywhere that they used for the truck trucks and trucking company. And Benny's back there, <laughs> a dirty bench, building a gear for his car. And it was, it was bare bones, uh, but he couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more down or just typical Benny. Um, and I, and from that day on, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, it just, you know, was just, Un- unbelievable to be around him. Uh, he actually advised you guys coming to Daytona. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I've never been on an airplane. I've never, I, I grew up in Western North Carolina and I've, I'm in college. I've never flown on a plane. I always wanted to fly on one. He said, if you get down there, we'll get you some passes to get in. You guys can help us out because hmm. he needs all the help he can get. So uh, long story short, uh, I got an uncle of mine that uh, agreed to buy a plane ticket for us. And, and I, you know, Greer, Greer helped set up with Benny to get us in, and we flew to Daytona. First time I've been on a plane, uh, and uh, we got to Daytona, and Benny got us a room at the same place he and Travis and the team were staying. Uh, and, you know, we paid for our room, but he got us access to one. Um, and we were at the racetrack, and and um, I remember the night before, Benny's talking about how he didn't have any gears left. He had burned up all these gears and had to go borrow a gear, the gear that wasn't even supposed to run Daytona, and they were just hoping to be able to finish the race. And um, the downside is that that we were on pit road with him and uh, two thirds of the race is over. And the guy that flew down there that bought our tickets, I guess he just miscalculated. He didn't fly much either. And our flight left before the race was over. Oh, no. We had to leave. We had to leave with about 30 laps to go to go get on our flight. And our flight went from Daytona to Jacksonville, Florida. So we we. We were sitting in, there was a couple of caution flights. We were sitting in Jacksonville at the airport when Benny Parsons won the Daytona 500. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh wow. Man. Well, uh, that's I, the first time I met him, but it was pretty cool. 
Well, I can I can sort of solve the mystery on the peach baskets. Uh, LG DeWitt is key, team owner owns some peach orchards down there around Ellerby, and I guess that's where the peach orchard basket or peach baskets came from because uh, he that was kind of how Mr. DeWitt uh, earned some of his money. And I guess that's all they had to sit on because uh, that's yeah. kind of where they came from. But, you know, just Benny, the person, I mean, Benny, he never changed no matter how much success he got on the racetrack, winning the Daytona 500, he went on to win 20 more races during his career. But the thing that impressed me the most about Benny was no matter the success, he was still good old Benny Parsons. And he carried that from being in a race car to carrying that, uh, you know, being uh, as a broadcast. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, Ben. That's a great way to put it. He was a larger-than-life personality, uh, but yet one of the most real, down-to-earth, and humble people you could ever be around. Um, he was—he almost, quite honestly, was so humble early in his career that people people took advantage of how nice he was. He, mm-hmm. Benny told me one time we were driving to Darlington, just he and I, and he said, you know, Doc, one of the first times I ran down here, uh, we didn't pit. We didn't. There's no need to pit. We didn't have any tires to, to put on, so we didn't pit. And the guys that were running up front, I ran, I was running up front in the top eight or nine all day. And then suddenly, uh, late in the race, I didn't pit. And here I look in my mirror, mirror, we're getting ready to restart. And here's, here's, uh, David Pearson and Richard Petty right behind me. And they're, and they obviously, I'm thinking to myself, now on this restart, they're expecting me to pull down out of the way because it's only like one and a half lane wide here at Arlington. And if I don't pull down, they try to pass me. One or both of them is going to be in the wall. And then Benny said it hit me. If I pull down out of the way today, they're going to expect me to pull down out of the way to rest. <laughs> That's he right. Said, so that ain't happening. He said, I'm, I'm here and I'm off the wall on the restart, scraped up the car a little bit. And Benny said, but they also realized that day that I was, I was legit. Um, so yeah, Benny, Benny, Benny was, um, you know, re, I, you know, it, to me, Benny Parsons was like, if you ever walked in a house or a bunch of guys sitting around watching a race, if you walked in and just stood in the room and listened to them, watched them, maybe maybe it's 10 guys in a room. You hear some guy going, oh, oh, look at that. Okay. Hey, hey why, why, why this is going to be unbelievable. Well, that's what Benny did on the air. Yeah. Benny was a race fan watching the race and he would act that way. And yeah. he was, he was as real as it got. So the fans loved Love to hear because you never knew. I, as a broadcaster standing beside him, between me and Ned, I was Ned Jarrett on one side, Benny Parsons on the other. When I was subbing for Bob Jenkins off and on, when Bob had his back issues, and I mean it was like it was like you know Christmas Day for me because I I loved. I never knew what Benny was going to say. Uh, knew that the race fan, knew the producer, um, and uh, you know, and but Benny Benny. You know, Benny identified with, you know, he was a racer. He was a driver. I remember when he first came to work at ESP and we were at Bristol and we're down in a little room uh, uh, before the before the race, at the driver's meeting. And Mike Helton is having the driver's meeting. And he says, now, um, uh, uh, he said, now, it, oh, it was actually, I think it might have been Les Richter anyway. Uh, they were having the driver's meeting. He said, anybody got anything that they want to ask about? Well, Benny starts chimes in from the back of the room and starts talking. And I think it was Mike Helton. Mike said, Benny? This is a driver's meeting, and you're not a driver anymore. <laughs> uh, and then he, then he sort of, oh, 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 you know, he got, he got the, got the message. Well, then, like a couple of weeks later, we're doing a race somewhere, and the NASCAR booth is beside us. It's all glass, and Benny's something happens, and ask Benny isn't real happy with how NASCAR handled it. Well, they come next door, and they say, you know, during the commercial, and the guy looks at, I think Mike looks at Benny and says, hey, now you don't understand, you know, people that in our sport they don't, they don't bash us too much. And uh, Benny said, well, you understand, I'm not a driver anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I get to say what I want to say like that. And, and I think Mike Helton said, touche, you know, one of those deals. But, you know, Benny was never going to be ugly toward anybody. But I just thought it was pretty. That's just a, just the way the way Benny was. And, uh, yeah, I was I was so blessed. Miss him, miss him every day. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have two quick observations about Benny. Um, one of person, well, actually, both are personal things. Um, you know, my wife has been with me at you know, IndyCar races, NASCAR races, NHRA, I mean, you name it. And she's met, you know, almost anybody that's anybody. But every time, you know, the conversation turns to her, the favorite people that she has in NASCAR, immediately, a first name is Benny Parsons. And I'll tell you a real quick story what happened. I think it was 2005, I think it might have been, or four, whatever it was. We were on a bus uh, in New York. We were going to one of the, you know, the social functions for Champions Week. And Benny, my wife and I were the only people on the bus. 
And Benny, not only did he introduce himself to my wife, you know, he already knew who I was, but he introduced himself to my, to my wife. He says, hi, I'm Benny Parsons. And they just hit it off for like, I think we, we drove for maybe 15 minutes, but it was just, she, she talks about it so much, at least, you know, several times a year, she talks about how Benny was so personal and you said the exact words, he was nice. And yes, he did have some people take advantage of him early in his career, but you know, he, he was, he was nice as to a fault. He was just the nicest, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And obviously my wife as well too. And you know, the other thing too, too about Benny and, I, I, I hate to bring this up, but I think it illustrates the love that the NASCAR community had for Benny. Uh, the day he passed, we were down in, in Daytona. I believe it was for practice. I think it was or a test or something. It was in, I think it was in January. Uh, and yeah. it was the, the, the mood of the drivers. I remember Kurt Busch uh, was one of the guys that was there and he was like on the verge of tears. I mean, Benny just spoke so much to people and, you know, he was almost like, like your favorite uncle, your favorite grandfather. I mean, he just, he, you met him and immediately you were a friend of his for life. And uh, I'll never forget the, the, the Paul, if you will, that came over Daytona that day when the word came that he had passed away, but he was just such a great guy. I have one question for you, um, uh, Jerry, you know, when you think about Benny as the driver, Benny as the broadcaster, Benny, just as the person, do you have one particular favorite story about his that uh, just encompasses who he was? Maybe not even in a race car, maybe not behind the, the microphone or in front of a camera. Just if you have one favorite story about Benny, what might that be? Well, you know, I, I, try, I, I will say this. The, the last time the last time I saw Benny was in uh, at Homestead, Miami, the last speed, mm-hmm. last race of the year in 2006. And, you know, he was going to die. Uh, he, he ended up passing away a few weeks later in early January. So this right. is towards the November, and I and we're ESPN's getting ready to come back in and take over our NASCAR. That was NBC's last race of the year, and uh, so we, I walk in the garage area in the first, and, and and there stands Benny, and we know he's battling this cancer, and there he is standing with an oxygen bottle on a little set of wheels with his oxygen on, standing right in front of the the 48 and the 24 cars, and you know that's championship race, and there's so much pressure on all these guys. And I walk up and I said, Benny, what are you doing here? And he gave me a big old bear hug, you know, and he <laughs> said, Doctor, it's glad to have you back. And Benny was a part of our ESPN coverage all the years. And I said, what are you doing here, man? He said, well, what else? He looked at me with that big, and he took a deep breath because he was having shorter breath to talk. And he said, where else am I going to be? Am I going to sit home and just wait to die? I said, this is my life. Yeah. This yeah. is my life. And he put, he raised both hands, took one hand off his oxygen bottle he was using to steady himself with. And he put both hands up in the air with palms up and said, these are my people. And about that time, Jimmy Johnson gets out of his car in between practices. Jimmy goes out, comes in there making changes. He gets out and comes over to Benny and, and is telling Benny, he's giving Benny a hug and telling him exactly what we're doing. Benny, we're going to change this and this and this. And then here comes Jeff Gordon over there. All these drivers that are battling for championships are getting out of their cars and coming over to Benny because, first of all, they know that, you know, just to see him is special, uh, but they wanted to contribute whatever they could. Uh, and, and I, and it was just like, it made, it, it hurt me deeply knowing that my, that I might not see him again. And I could see he was battling to be there, but he was in the happiest place he could be in. And, and, uh, and so, uh, and we talked, but, but I, I, I'll say this. That's why I think, I mean, to say this, that's why I think what's happened at North Wilkesboro Speedway with, with his wife, with, the, with his widow, Terry, bringing that back or working hard to bring that back is making him smile from above. Cause yeah. that, that yes. was his place. He yeah. grew up in a holler in Wilkesboro and that was so special. But I'll say this, uh, the, the, the last race we call with Dale Earnhardt, uh, one at Talladega and it was Ned and myself and Benny and Benny's the one that if you go back and look at that race has been run many, many, many times in movies, et cetera, but those last four or five laps and, uh, and and here's Earnhardt back in 18th spot, and Benny speaks up and says, "You can't count on Earnhardt." And I look at Benny like he's got three heads, like he's got a <laughs> yeah. he's three wide. He got no shot, you know. Well, here he comes, you know. So Benny's the one that brought that up, and then we, you know, we all know what happened. Earnhardt knocks his way through and and gets the win, which turned out none of us knew was going to be his last victory. And then uh, when the race is over, you're tired, all that you're drained from all the adrenaline and emotion. So you really don't want to talk. We walked out of that booth after seeing what we saw. We get in the elevator and go down and get in the car. And Benny and I are driving to the airport together. And Benny, uh, I, I'm, I look over at Benny. I said, uh, I Benny, I just, I'm just not believing what we just saw. I just don't believe it. And Benny looked at me and paused for a minute. And I, and I said, you know, I said, Benny, 
Manny, I don't believe it. That's not humanly possible. And Manny looked at me and he said, Doc, he ain't human. He's our father. <laughs> That's true. That's I, true. I just think, you know, Manny was just, he, his, his love of life, his love of people, um, you know, I, I, all the people I work with, every announcer I work with, producers, directors, I miss them because we were we were family. But there's a mm-hmm. couple of people who touched my life uh, that that were like they were like a brother or or a father figure. Ned Jarrett and Benny Parsons were two of those people, um, and and Bob Jenkins, quite honestly. But 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 you know, Benny was just he he just cared about people. And when he did those things, when he did those hat of the weeks or mm-hmm. buffet Benny that Pam Miller, our, our pit producer put together and, and, and they knew instantly, if you put Benny out there and he could go to a restaurant, it's going to be magic on the air. Everybody wanted to know where are you eating this week, Benny, or, or where's your hat? What hat are you wearing this weekend? And those things became like franchises. And you know, we, we, we almost drowned Benny once in a, in a stream in, in Tennessee because he fell out of a canoe and, uh, and they were trying to get him over to some little cafe up there. But, it, you know, those things were special because he didn't have to be anybody else. You know, Benny was John Madden at a racetrack. Right. Benny right. was the guy everybody wanted to hear and see because he was bigger than life, the emotion, the energy. And you know, he had no idea what he was going to say. And that was the best part. Yeah. Well, Dr. Jerry, I want to thank you for being with us out and the fans can't see you right now because of what we're doing with the audio, but to let everybody know he's dressed in surgical scrubs and he's got on a white jacket. He's got a stethoscope around his neck. He's very kind to take some time out. He's at this, uh, at this medical facility. And we just want to thank you. You're a class act. You truly are. And we thank you for taking time out of your day to join us today. We don't want to take up too much of your time. We know you're incredibly busy. So we just want to thank you for your time very much. Well, yes. thank you guys for remembering, remembering Benny and allowing me to be on to, 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 to comment about him as well. And, and, and cause he is, and always will be, uh, you know, you know, the professor, uh, Benny Parsons. So he's, uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Exactly. Thank you very kindly for being with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Jerry. We'll talk with you later then. Okay, we want to thank Dr. Jerry Punch for joining us on a Lifetime in NASCAR and, uh, podcast. And Ben, you know, uh, Dr. Punch, I mean, first of all, I love the guy because his first name is Jerry. I mean, how can you not like a guy named Jerry, okay? <laughs> right. you know, but, but, you know, he brought us back so many memories. And we, you know, we were so fortunate to get talked to him for at least, you know, 20, 25 minutes, whatever it was, because he's just been very busy with his you know, medical practice and that. So we were really thankful that he was able to join us. But, I know, you know, Ben, you were around Benny a lot, uh, you know, him, you know, his family, you know, his sons and, and his wife. Tell me, tell us a couple of stories that, that about Benny that you re- remember from him, you know, both, you know, a, a, as a driver or as a broadcaster or both, like I yeah, said. Yeah. Well, I have a, a personal story I'd love to share that really means a lot to me. And I shared this with Benny years ago and and something that he was really touched about. And, and I, I, I think about this all the time when I see the number 72, but just a little personal story. Back in 1978, uh, summer of 78, when I was trying to drive my own race car locally at Bowman Gray Stadium in Caraway uh, Speedway in Asheboro, North Carolina. Bowman Gray, of course, is in Winston-Salem. But, you know, Bobby Allison has always been a favorite of mine. And then as fate would have it, we worked on a book together later on. And uh, that was a a huge, uh, uh, just something very huge in my life that we were able to do that, become great friends with Bobby. But back in the days when I was trying to drive race cars, I wanted number 12. Mm -hmm. And someone actually both racetracks spoke locally. Someone had 12 at both racetracks at Caraway and Bowman Gray. So it went to 22, someone had it, 32, someone had it on up 42, 52, 62, but, but the number 72 wasn't taken. And so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, great. Okay, super. I'll use number 72. And at the time, Benny was driving 72 on the cup series. And back in my high school days, I sort of went by Ben or Benny. And so I thought, Hey, this is a great omen because 72 Benny's running it. I go by Benny. 
uh, super. So later on, after I got very deep into the journalism side and covering the Cup Series, Benny and I got to be pretty good friends. And Mm -hmm. I told him that story. I said, hey, I ran number 72 uh, during my short-lived underfunded, no money career. (laughs) (laughs) And I ran 72 because you had it in the cup series. And he kind of looked at me a little bit shocked. And then he was really humble. He said, you mean you ran a 72 because I had it? I said, yeah. And he got, he was just very, a little bit emotional. He said, seriously. I said, yeah. And it just meant a lot to him. It meant the world to him that I chose it because he had it. I said, well, you were Benny and I was Benny and (laughs) You know, it just meant a lot to me, and and I could just tell it meant a lot to him that I ran the number, and um, and so that was just a personal side, a personal story. You know, Benny was very touched by little things like that, and mm. and even though it was huge to me, uh, he just thought, man, that was really cool that you ran my number when I had seventy two on the Cup Series, and so that, and and just the fact that uh, I remember one time in New Hampshire. I was doing a story for NASCAR scene, NASCAR Illustrated about Benny's life and Benny's career. And we were riding on a golf cart together over towards a a different part of the speedway. And he had a break between doing some things. I believe he was with ESPN at the time. Mm -hmm. And so we rode over there. And after we did the interview, I said to Benny, I said, Benny, you're, you're a class act and I sincerely appreciate your time. And he said, you know, Ben said, it's really kind of you to say that because people just don't say that to people. It's very respectful that you would tell me, thank you for your time. And I meant that sincerely and little things like that. He was just very humble, but he, he, he was very, he was very gracious. And he, Mm -hmm. he just said, that's really kind of you to say that to me because people just think that, you know, you know, you just got all the time in the world and you really don't. And, but you were very kind to say that to me and mm-hmm. little, little stuff like that. And just, I don't know, it just, you know, he was just a really good person. He would give you all, all day if he could. Yeah. Yep. But it, at times, you know, he had 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, like we all do when we're in this business, because you're being pulled in so many different directions. Right. But right. I just wanted to say, Benny, thanks for your time. And I, he appreciated that. But uh, to going, going back to just the fact that, you know, he was a driver and very good driver, won 21 races, won the 73 championship. And who can, who could ever forget the way he won that championship in 73. And back in those days, a very brief recap of that, but back in those days, they went by how many laps you completed as far as being the champion. Mm-hmm. And so at Rockingham, the last race of the year in 73, all he basically had to do is just get out there and run laps. He was going to be the champion. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out on the, I believe it was the 13th lap he got into, or someone got into him, I should say, mm-hmm. and just tore that number 72 LG DeWitt Chevrolet all two pieces. It was a solid red car, number 72 LG DeWitt, uh, or excuse me, I'm I'm sorry, I just about misspoke. I think it was Bennett Chevrolet on the back of it as a sponsor on the, on the quarter panels, took the whole right side of the car off, and it was badly damaged. That car mm-hmm. was... I mean, it was on the hook, went to the garage, and everybody loved Benny so much that crew members from Kelly Arbor's team, Junior Johnson's team, I should say, Wood Brothers, Richard Childress's team when he was driving, everybody went over there and worked on that race car. Mm-hmm. And didn't they didn't ask them to, but they did. Took the roll cage out of another car that had fallen out of the race a few laps earlier. They just cut the cut the car roll cage out of it on one side and welded it back together on that side of Benny's car. Uh, anything they could do, they, you know, the front spindles were, were badly uh, damaged. I think the frame was badly damaged in the front. They did a lot of surgery on this car. I mean, it was, it should have just been put in the garage and put a cover over it, but they're saying, no, we're going to get you back in the race. The rear end housing was badly bent. They took a rear end housing out of somebody else's car welded it together, put it back in there and and to the back of Benny's car. And I remember that the whole right side of the car was gone. All you could see is roll cage. And Benny finally got back out there. I don't recall how many laps he was in the garage, but quite a few. Mm -hmm. And they got him back out there and he just ran laps and ran laps and ran laps and ended up winning the championship for 73. But what was so touching about it 
And she saw crew member uniforms all around that race car from all these other crew members, all these uh, other teams helping Benny get back in the race. And they didn't say a word to anybody. They didn't they go to anybody and say, hey, can you come and help us? They came over and helped him. They loved him that much. They wanted to see him win that championship, and he did. And just a, a tremendous statement about who Benny was. And then, as time would have it, he he raced through 1988 mm-hmm. for various teams. And, you know, back in the days when Tim Richmond became sick, uh, Rick Hendrick, uh, put him in the car and they changed the number from 25 to 35. And uh, Benny ran the number 35 Folger Chevrolet mm-hmm. in 1987. And then the next year he drove for Junie Donlevy and finished his career in Donlevy's Fords. And then he turned his attention to to broadcasting and it just was a phenomenal broadcaster as Dr. Jerry Punch was talking about earlier in the show. So just a tremendous, tremendous talent as a driver, tremendous talent as a broadcaster. And of course, sadly, we lost him in January of 2007 and uh, just a tremendous person all the way around, but never, never cocky about what he uh, accomplished in racing and never cocky about being a broadcaster. Just, uh, just a tremendous person all the way around. You know, the one thing about Benny that, you know, he always tried to downplay this part, but I've always been intrigued by this as well, too. You know, he learned a lot about car control and the ability to work himself through traffic, ironically enough, as a taxi driver in Detroit for a number of years. Yeah. Well, it was, I think, the two years I think he was a taxi driver. But uh, he and I had a chance to talk, oh, I don't know, probably... I can't even remember the year. It might've been 2004. I think it might've been. And um, uh, you know, like, like Dr. Punch said, I mean, Benny was just so gracious. And I did an interview with him uh, for Yahoo and then, or no, actually that, I think that one was actually for ESPN. But anyway, we, after we finished the interview, we started talking, you know, just off the record kind of thing. And I kind of mentioned about, you know, his history as a, as a, um, a cab driver. And he, I mean, I, I should have used that, but, you know, it was all off the record and I understood that. So we, you know, but I mean, just, he, he was so eloquent, much like he was when he be, you know, as a broadcaster, he was so eloquent about what that time as a taxi driver, not only taught him about car control, but just, you know, he was so appreciative and, and Dr. Punch alluded to that uh, when we talked to them. But he was so appreciative about how he was able to make his way from Detroit as a ta- cab driver to you know NASCAR eventually, and became not only a champion but you know certainly uh, one of the most beloved people in the sport. Uh, eventually, was inducted in the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2017. Um, you know, but it all kind of started, if you will, as a cab driver. I mean, I don't yeah. think there. I, I can't think of anybody else that had had a history as a cab driver, but he was so vocal um, in, a, in a good way about what that experience helped, how it helped him become a better race car driver. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and you know, when, when you're trying to maneuver traffic on the highway, I guess at 35 or 45 miles an hour, so to speak, and then you, I guess, uh, elevate that to 200 miles an hour. It's yeah. <laughs> something like Daytona. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of used to having cars around you uh, and it's relative. If everybody's going 200 miles an hour, uh, it maybe sometimes doesn't feel like 200, so to speak. But, right. you know, part of his story, though, is interesting how uh, later on after the cab, taxi cab endeavor, uh, Benny was working at a gas station and, uh, some people came in to the gas station, a couple of customers towing a race car, and they invited him to go to a racetrack. And the driver uh, that was supposed to come to the track to drive the race car that night never showed up. <laughs> and so, true story. And so, Benny, they said, well, you drive a text cab. How do you feel about driving a race car? And <laughs> Benny said, what the heck? I'll drive it. And that's kind of how his racing career started. Right. And so... You know, it's like, well, I know a taxi cab is a whole lot slower than a race car, but we don't have a driver and you've done that kind of thing, so to speak, on a shorter, I mean, on, on a much slower level. How about you drive? And it's like, what the heck? I have nothing else to do for the next 30 <laughs> minutes. So he did. And that's exactly how it started. 
And then uh, as time would have it, 1964, he goes to drive for Holman Moody, which we've right. talked about Holman Moody many, many times on, on the podcast as right. being one of the great car builders of the 60s. And they showcased their work by putting great drivers in their race cars. And then he became an, an ARCA champion in 1968 and 69, just a few years later. And that did a great deal for launching his uh, Cup Series career, which was then the NASCAR Grand National Series. And then, uh, as fate would have it, sadly, there was a driver by the name of Buddy Young who was driving at Riverside in 1970, which is a road <laughs> course, and was injured in the LG DeWitt uh, Ford uh, during the race there and could not continue on. And then Buddy, I mean, I'm sorry, Benny Parsons being uh, an ARCA champion was hired by LG DeWitt to drive the number 72. Actually, Buddy Young was driving the 30 number 31 Ford owned by LG DeWitt. And they changed the number for whatever reason from 31 to 72. And then that's when Benny Parsons got the ride. And as you say, the rest is history, but, um, uh, you know, he went on to drive the car and won some a lot of races uh, for LG DeWitt. Actually, twelve races in the number seventy-two for LG DeWitt. But uh, it all started, as I said, by jumping in that race car. He, I don't think he had any intentions of driving a race car, really. But it's like, yeah, I'll go to the track with you. And then when he got there, no one was there to drive the car. And he ended up driving it. So that's how it all started. Just fate that would have it. There he was. I've got to ask you this because um, you were around when he made that transition. Um, how did the transition from driver to broadcaster kind of occur? I mean, um, you know, I mean, Benny was such down home folksy. I mean, people mm -hmm. just, you know, appreciated that so much. Like I said a, a little earlier, I mean, he was kind of like your favorite uncle, your favorite grandfather. I mean, how did he, make that transition because a lot of guys try to become broadcasters and don't do very well. And he was just like a natural, much like yeah. Ned Jarrett was. Yeah. Very much like Ned Jarrett, very much like Neil Bonnet. And I think for him, it was uh, really nowhere else to go, so to speak, because when you reach that point where, you know, you're better outside the race car than you are in the race mm -hmm. car, it's, you know, that's where he was in 1988. He had gone from driving for Rick Hendrick to not really having a great ride. And I'm right. not, that's no disrespect to Junie Dunleavy, but I mean, Junie would have told you himself that his cars were not as good as what Rick Hendrick had. And so that was a ride that was available and Betty took it, but it was on, I think, a limited schedule. So he knew he was at the end of his career. And he he wanted, as as Dr. Punch had said, this is my family. This is my life. Mm -hmm. I need to do something within the sport. He would have been miserable if he stayed in little uh, Ellerby, North Carolina, and couldn't be a part of the sport. So team ownership was out. Driving was out. He had to find something. And so he was very good at explaining very much like what Larry McReynolds is today. He's very good at explaining what a car could do, what a driver mm -hmm. could do. And so it was a very natural progression from being behind the wheel to the behind the microphone. And so Benny found his new home uh, with the SPN and, and uh, you know, other broadcast venues. And so the fans loved him because of that down home personality that he had. And, and they could relate one-on-one. -on -one. He wasn't talking below them and he wasn't talking over them. He was talking with them and it was just natural. Neil, Neil Bonnet had that same ability to explain what was going on in the race car and do it in a down home on the sofa by mm -hmm. the fire sort of way. And, and Benny had that same talent to do the same, very same thing. And so, uh, you know, you, no, and again, no disrespect intended, but some announcers try so hard to be an announcer and there's no need for that. Uh, when you know what you're talking about, you've experienced it at 200 miles an hour for the past 20 years. Yeah. You don't have to try so hard. And that's why some of these race drivers, champion, former champions make such great uh, announcers and former crew chiefs because they've been there, done that. They know exactly what to say without um saying too much and sort of like what Larry McReynolds has said you just go to the treetops you don't have to tell the whole tree or, or <laughs> exactly about the whole right. tree you know what I mean you just tell the treetop just tell what what you need to tell and not overanalyze and not overdo it 
And Benny was great at that. And he, he was a natural at, at explaining everything to where the race fan could understand it. You know, and the other thing, too, is he influenced so many people, um, you know, in their racing careers. Uh, you know, not just, I mean, drivers, obviously, but team owners, crew chiefs. I mean, you know, if if somebody really needed good advice, Benny was almost like the first guy people would turn to. But he also had, um, excuse me, his, uh, you know, his brother, Phil, the younger brother, Phil, you know, became um, you know, uh, uh, a team owner and, you know, did racing. He, and then he followed uh, Benny into broadcasting as well too. So, uh, you know, how's that saying go? The, uh, the, the leaf doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, Phil followed right. in his footsteps, so to speak. I mean, tell, tell me about, uh, what you know about Phil and, you know, his interaction with his older brother. I mean, did, yeah. did the t- talk about it a lot or, or not? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. And, and in a way, it was sort of like a father-son kind of thing. I don't know the number of years there are between Benny and Phil or mm. what they were, but but it wasn't just two or three years. It was, a, I think, maybe 10 or 12. And I'm not – I apologize. I don't know the number of years. But they, they were close, and you know, Benny was there to tell uh, Phil – yes, you need to go with this particular team owner, or maybe it's not in your best interest to go with this team owner, or uh, this is the best way to maybe get a car through a turn or whatever. I mean, in other words, Benny had been there, done that, and he knew exactly how to guide uh, Phil through some some of the turbulence Mm -hmm. of the politics, if you will. And so, uh, yeah, and and very close uh, in, in their upbringing, even though there were some years between them, yeah, 16 uh, years between them. And yeah, Benny, Benny, yeah, Benny was born in 41 and uh, Phil was born in 57. So, right. um, you know, 16 year, uh, I guess it was actually a 16 year difference. But, you know, like you said, I mean, Benny, um, you know, adopt essentially adopted Phil, not only just as his little brother, but, you know, like you said, like a son. And I mean, you know, if you're an aspiring uh individual that wants to, you know, make your mark in the world of NASCAR, be it, you know, as a car owner or a driver or a crew chief, or even a PR person, whatever the case is. I mean, you couldn't have gotten a better instructor than Benny Parsons. And, and no, that's true. Here. That's true. And I sincerely appreciate your help with that number. Cause I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew it was quite a, quite a gap. Right. And, um, yeah, and, and I think if I'm not telling this incorrectly, I think Phil grew up more in North Wilkesboro, even though Benny graduated, from high school uh, in North Wilkesboro, uh, you know, and, and graduated from West Wilkes High School, and then right after that moved to Detroit and worked with his father in the taxicab business. Mm-hmm. And then I think Benny, or I'm sorry, Phil uh, grew up more in the Wilkesboro area and stayed there, so if I'm not telling it incorrectly. So, uh, and then they reconnected uh, later on. But yeah, I didn't. I knew it was a gap, but I couldn't remember how big a gap. So you said sixteen years. So uh, yeah, and, and it was just more like a father son thing. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so, uh, but he was there, like I said, to help Phil through his career. And you know, Phil was doing late models and such before he got into the Cup Series. And and both, uh, I believe, drove for Richard and Leo Jackson, which is great because they they stayed sort of under the same umbrella. And both of those guys, by the way, were awesome crew uh, team owners and had mm-hmm. awesome crews and 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 drove for U.S. Tobacco Company, both of them in the '55 and the '66. So yeah, it was kind of in the family and right there together. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a great relationship with them. And then of course Phil, again with some direction from Benny, uh, got into the broadcast side, and he was there to sort of help coach him through that as well. And, and Phil continues to do a tremendous job behind the microphone and uh, had had some team ownership at one time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so Benny was there. And and I know that Phil continues to think back on some of that advice. And I'm sure he, he misses Benny every day, just like we all do. You know, one thing about Benny, when he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2017, you know, when I think back to all the individuals that have been inducted into the hall since uh, what 2010, I think was the first year they, they had the first uh, induction class. I don't think there was any other inductee and I may be wrong in saying this. And I apologize if anybody takes offense to this, but I, I mean this sincerely from the bottom of my heart 
there were a lot of wet eyes when Benny was inducted. There were a lot of people, a lot of, you know, tears of joy, I should say it that way. And, you know, that to me showed the emotion that people had about Benny um, and, you know, his righteous induction into the hall and how, you know, people just responded, even though he'd been gone from us for what, uh, 10 years, I think it was at that point, Um, you know, that, that he was still so beloved. Uh, I I just, it, it amazed me. uh, And I mean that in a good way. I mean, men, women, both tears were in their eyes. I mean, that, that says a lot about how he was so beloved, you know, just as a human being. I mean, yeah, he was, Mm -hmm. he was honored for his uh, NASCAR driving ability and certainly his broadcasting ability. But, you know, the, I think that, you know, it was, it was almost like a celebration of Benny's life when he was inducted. If you know Yeah. Well, think about this a minute, Jerry, and this is something that just come to mind. If you look back at any YouTube videos ever, how many of those do you ever remember of Benny Parsons being angry? Yeah, exactly. I, right, I, I right. don't, I don't remember any, right. and he would be sitting behind the garage wall or in the garage area and the screen net would be down and be, you know, he'd be having his left arm propped up on the door mm-hmm. and with his helmet on or off. And somebody would come to the window with a microphone and put it in his face and say, well, Benny, what happened? What, what's going on? Or who got into you? He said, well, I tell you what, I really don't know exactly what happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, yep, you never, definitely. you never really, that was a Benny Parsons impression, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you never really, I never, I cannot ever think back of any time he ever got angry ever. I mean, on camera, off camera, I don't ever know of him ever getting angry about anything. And, and that's really a testament to what a great person he was. Now he could have been, I'm sure off camera at home or kicking a tree somewhere in the woods. But I mean, I don't really, I don't know if he ever got mad about anything. I, I I could I would really be hard pressed to find anybody that really knew of him ever getting angry about anything. He had and no enemies. So, I mean, yeah, he had no I mean, really because you stop and think about it. There were I, you go back and you look <laughs> at videos, and he's sitting in the garage, and he just well, I'll tell you what happened. I just really don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, the car got out from under me, and I hit the wall, and that's that's just what happened. I mean. I just, and that says a lot because you see these, some of these guys today, they'll hop out of the car and hop over the other guy's hood. And he's holding his, the collar of the other guy's driver's suit, staring him in the eyes. It's Mm -hmm. like, calm down. You know what I mean? Never saw that from Benny. Never one time that I can recall. I, I, I can't remember who said this to me. And this was very early on when I first started covering NASCAR, uh, 25 years or whatever it's been. Um, but somebody said to me, and I wish I could remember who it was, but, and he said it not in a, um, a negative way, but a very explanative way. I probably is the best way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. He called Benny the anti Earnhardt. And I, and I, <laughs> I can see that yeah. because, you know, Earnhardt had, you know, and, and that was part of his mystique. That was part of his, you know, that what people loved about him was that he kind of had that chip on his shoulder, but he was also, you know, he was, he'd have no problem putting you in the wall and, you know, he'd do it with a smile on his face. He was almost like the snidely whiplash of NASCAR, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. I mean, Benny was the exact opposite and yet they still were both, you know, equally beloved, you know? And, and yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought that, that um, uh, the way it was explained by, and again, I can't remember who said it to me, but an anti Earnhardt, I, couldn't agree more. Right. And and you know, another thought comes to mind. I believe it was the 19, I, I don't remember the year, but I'm going to say 1984, Daytona 500. Ken Squire was in the booth. Mm-hmm. Benny was driving for Leo Jackson. He was in the 55 car. And he, I don't remember where he started. Let's say seventh, eighth or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And he was, and he had a radio hookup. And Ken was asking him, oh, tell me a little bit about what you think is going to happen today in the race. Something to that effect. I don't know what the exact quote was, Mm -hmm. but how's your car feel today? And, you know, here he is about, I don't know, a quarter lap from taking the green flag in the Daytona 500. And Benny (laughs) keys to Mike and says, well, Ken, I believe we're going to have a really good day. Let's just see how it goes or something like that. Very calm. Right. Very, you know, not agitated at all. And I'm thinking, 
I remember thinking this to myself, Ken, why are you asking him this? <laughs> you know, because he's a quarter lap away from taking the check of the green flag. And Benny's like, yes, Ken, we'll see how it goes. Or something. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was right. very calm, very easy going. You know, just that was Benny. He never seemed to. He had ice water in his veins. He never seemed to get up. He was very aggressive. Don't get me wrong. When he needed to be on the racetrack, sure he was because he won 21 races. Mm -hmm. But he was not one of those types of people that really got anxious. And that was that's kind of interesting because there's a lot of guys, Neil Bonnet for one, Terry Labonte for one, uh, Benny Parsons. So many of these guys that were so calm. Even before the race, that's what really just baffles me, how these guys can stand on pit road and throw their kid in the air and just <laughs> laugh yep. with their wife and everything's great. And like, do you know what you're getting ready to do here? You're going to mix it up with the 40 of your best friends at 200 miles an hour inches apart for the next four hours. Yep. But they just never seem to get rattled. And it'd be interesting to see what their blood pressure and heart rate was, you know, on pit road. But Benny was that way. They, he was just very calm and collected and cool. But I, I remember that. I remember thinking to myself, why are you asking him that a quarter lap from taking the green flag? But anyway, he was yeah. very calm in his answer. Yep. We're going to do fine again. Uh, we'll get ready to take the green here. Just a minute. <laughs> Something right. to that effect. I don't remember exactly what he said. Right. 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 But anyway, just huh. very calm, very calm. Well, you know, speaking of the number 70, well, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about Benny when, and obviously our yeah. guest, Dr. Jerry Punch talked about Benny, but you know, the number 72 has a pretty interesting history behind it. 574 starts, 14 wins of which 12, I think you said were, for, were from Benny, uh, 145 top fives, 237 top tens, 14 poles. And Tell me, Ben, uh, ben you, you've got this, the information in front of you uh, about the first time that the number 72 actually uh, raced in NASCAR competition. Yeah, sure will. It was a 200-lap race at, on the Daytona Beach and Road Course. Again, for new listeners just tuning in, the Beach and Road Course was half of A1A, Highway A1A down in Daytona Beach, which is the regular road. And then the other half was on the beach itself, on the sand, and they blocked it off a couple of times a year. And mm -hmm. it was like 4.1 miles. If I'm not incorrect, I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. This was from, say, 1949 to 1958. And then 1959 is when the Daytona International Speedway opened for the first time. But this is race number one of 1950. A gentleman by the name of Lee Schmidt ran number 52 for the first time. He was in a Buick. He started 23rd and finished 24th, uh, and that was the first race of the 1950 Grand National season. Right. Wow. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the number 72, it's the last time it was run in a NASCAR Cup competition was in 2018. The, the uh, owner of the team, and honest to God, Ben, and I apologize uh, ahead of time before I say this, I don't remember this team owner. His name was Brian Smith and he ran a part-time cup team in 2017 with Cole Witt. And then 2018, it was Corey LaJoy and Cole Witt split the 36 race season. And then Brian Smith is no longer uh, with, with NASCAR as a team owner. But uh, I find it interesting that that, that number, you know, with, with its history, especially with its association with Benny Parsons, that, you know, uh, we haven't seen it back on the track. But, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned about the 12 wins from Benny Parsons. One was from Sammy Johns and one was from Joe Weatherly. So, you know, uh, it was a it was a great car with Benny Parsons, um, had some issues or struggles, you know, with other drivers. But, um, you know, that was kind of like Benny's. Um, um, you know, kind of his his claim to fame, if you will, that he drove the 72 to, to wins in 12 of his 21 cup race or cup wins, rather. So uh, that says a lot about the 72 for sure. Yeah, it does. And 72 is, to me at least, I'm sure other people who followed the sport uh, in the, as I have in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, I mean, 72 is, is a number that I, readily associate with Benny, just like the number 71 mm -hmm. immediately comes to mind for Dave Marcus, number mm -hmm. 12 for Bobby Allison. It's just a number that 
you know, resonates with, with Benny. And it's just a number that the team owner, LG DeWitt, was assigned by NASCAR again. Uh, he started off with number 31, LG DeWitt did. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, but they went to number 72 immediately after uh, using number 31 in 1970. Uh, maybe they just felt like they needed a number change. I'm not sure why. Right. But uh, Benny ran from uh, 1970 uh, to 78 using number 72. And then we went to uh, a different team uh, after the 78 season. And uh, and I think Joe Milliken, I believe, replaced uh, Benny Parsons uh, in the number 72 uh, in the 1979 season. And, and Joe Milliken was a driver that started his career with uh, Petty Enterprises uh, mm-hmm. and uh, ran some, some years there uh, in the late 1970s. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, Benny Parsons with 19, with number 72 is, I guess is a number that stayed with him for many years. And a lot of people just associate 72 with Benny. You know, I'm looking at racing reference and some names that might pop out to folks, um, you know, from, more recent times, uh, Mike Skinner drove a few times in that car. Kirk Shelmerdine, actually, the, you know, one, he will be one of the three inductees into the Hall of Fame uh, in January. He drove that car several times. Uh, actually, he drove for uh, oh, almost a, a whole full season, two thousand and four. John Andretti drove that car for a few races, and you know, going back into the nineties. Um, you know, we've got uh, Rusty Wallace actually drove the 72. This is a surprise for me. I didn't even realize this. Rusty Wallace followed uh, Joe Milliken. Uh, Milliken drove that car in, in last time in 1980. And then Rusty drove it for, let's see, one, two, three, four races. Um, you know, uh, and so that, you know, it, it has had a number of drivers that are well known in in history, in addition to Benny Parsons. Yeah, so, and, you know, interestingly enough, uh, after the 1979, uh, I think, or actually in 79, Benny Parsons went from ni- from the number 72 to the 27. With, uh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, with MC Anderson, which I thought was very in- unique that right, he just right. switched from 72 to 27, which exactly. that's just fate would have it. But uh, yeah, but 72 was by far associated with Benny for a long time. Exactly. Well, Ben, as always, a great show and really appreciate not only you know your insight, but also certainly our guest, Dr. Jerry Punch. And uh, just he's one of my favorite people. And I, you know, I really I understand, you know, and, and I give him so much credit for you know going back into doing more in the medical field, which is where he obviously was um, you know trained as a as a physician and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, but I would just love to get him back in the booth for, you know, uh, you know, a season or more. I mean, I miss him. I miss him. Yeah, you know, I do too. Booth. Or even, you know, even, even if he was on, on pit lane, I mean, he did a lot of that too, as well. I mean, I'd love to see him, you know, just, you know, get back into it. And, um, you know, there've been a, lo- a few rumbles about what's going to happen in the next few years uh, with the broadcast package. Maybe we will see him back. I would love yeah, to maybe see so. Well, the fun thing about Dr. Jerry punch is he will come in the media center and he He's a man of many hats, but he will put his medical hat off to the side and prop his feet up and and be a broadcaster, a member of the media. Mm-hmm. And but he's very willing to to answer any kind of medical questions that yep. you have. And yep. and he'll give you great insight on on something. And he's just one of us. And he's very down to earth. Uh, and but he's he's there. He's readily available to you. Also, we've seen him. You know, I remember if you look back at so many of these, uh, sadly, he's been there for when we lost Tim Richmond, when we right. lost Davey Allison, uh, when we've lost others in our sport, that he could give you some real insight on immediately what's going on and explain it in such a way that, that you understand it. And But he's a great friend of the media. He's a great friend otherwise. And it was such a pleasure to have him on the show with us today. And we want to try to get others to come on with us. You know, we, as we kid about, we're still uh, two apple cans in a string on this <laughs> on this podcast, but we're getting better and we're, we're improving as we go. Right. And we're, we're down home and fun too. That's what we want to continue to be. We want to be there for our fans and listeners. And we, we appreciate everyone listening to us as well. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, 
we're walking before we can run, but we're getting there. Exactly. Back. Well, I mean, you know, and I am, I'm having so much fun, you know, working with you and, you know, I have learned so much from you, but, you know, more importantly is that, you know, we have developed an incredible friendship and yes, I, we I have. mean that from the bottom of my heart. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you are definitely one of my favorite people. And uh, even though, that, even sir. though we joke about, you know, the, uh, I know I like to say Salisbury instead of Salisbury, <laughs> but we, you know, that's okay. Well, we're, we're okay we, with <laughs> we will, we will continue to, to get you in therapy on that. And we'll do our weekly Salisbury. <laughs> talk okay well, well okay let me okay okay i'm gonna ask you this okay so it is spelled s-a-l-i-s-b-u-r-y yeah so why is the i not said i don't know but if you just think <laughs> if you just think salisbury steak just well, that's no wait i call it salisbury steak so i'm always going <laughs> okay we'll continue to work on that yes exactly exactly but i mean we, okay. we love it uh, joking around about that stuff <laughs> okay. so but yes but but um all, and all kidding aside i mean uh you know great episode 72 and you know again thank you to dr jerry punch for being uh part of the show uh we're hoping to get a, a guest on next week and uh, we've got a couple of names that we're, we've reached out to so uh we're going to start having more guests and hopefully you know to definitely tell your friends Friends, uh, especially if they're uh, NASCAR fans, especially old time fans who want you know really love the history of the sport, and uh, uh, you know we'd love to have uh, you know more people listening to the podcast. I think that uh, you know they would learn a lot, and plus they would be able to reflect a lot about you know some of their favorite memories with some of our guests or some of the stories that Ben has to say. I mean, it just it's really a good and, and fun thing to to do. So. Ben, as always, thank you ever so much. Again, thanks, Dr. Jerry Punch. And we'll be back with episode number 73 of a Lifetime NASCAR podcast sometime next week. So thanks again, everyone. You take care. Have a good week. And we will talk to you soon. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.